Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Track Cycling Podcast. I'm Guy Swarbrick and with me this afternoon I have Rob Jones from Canadian Cyclists. Not in the in the velodrome in Roubaix anymore, he's gone home, so he's uh, at home in Toronto. I'm not in Toronto. Um, <laughs> I'm an hour west of Toronto in the in the prettiest town in Canada, Paris. It it it, it, it actually has a sign up at the, at the edge of town that says the prettiest town in Canada. <laughs> so it must be true, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think Wokingham even tries to pretend that it's anything other than what it is. <laughs> so uh, we're back together. I think a little bit earlier than we um, we'd originally thought we would be because it's the uh, the first round of the UCI Champions League this weekend, not in Paris as originally planned, but in Parma. So uh, many years ago, they had, they they had a World Championships. I can't remember how many years ago. It was quite quite a, quite a long time ago. I I will look that up, put it into the podcast edit afterwards, and and look as I was really clever and. And could remember. I do remember when it was. It was 2007 because it was it was GB's breakthrough year. I think they won seven golds in Palmer, which was a record they didn't break until 2008 in Manchester when they won a couple more. And I, I knew I I knew I knew when it was for some reason, but I couldn't remember what the reason was. The the, the Paris thing was a little bit of, of deja vu because they announced the first round being in Paris, and then for for various I think mostly COVID related reasons decided to cancel. But for for those particularly UK and European based track cycling fans may remember a previous Champions League which was put together by the organisation behind the Revolution Series and their European Champions League the first year that they ran it was due to start in in Paris and that was cancelled I think officially a week before although they didn't actually tell everybody so I I, I knew photographers who were actually on their way to the airport when they found out that they weren't weren't required to be there the following day so uh, so France, right. has, France hasn't got a particularly good record with the Champions League, but hopefully they'll be back in next season. But I, I, Palmer looks like a an interesting venue, um, as as far as I can tell. I've never been there, but it's not a not a huge spectator venue. No, I mean I, when they had Worlds there, it had just it was it was still being finished being built, and they were still actually building the stands. And so the concrete dust was horrible during, during during the racing. And the bigger part to it, rather than the racing, was the big disco party they had in the evening after the racing. So, yeah, I mean, and you know, it was the year before Olympics and everyone was wondering what the hell is it doing in Palma? But it was warm. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess for, for the Champions League, although hopefully a, a, a big audience will be will be part of the atmosphere. It, it is a, a four TV event. So I guess it doesn't really matter, you know, what kind of physical audience it can, can hold. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting a tremendous amount, although I don't know about you, but I mean, I can't watch it unless I pay a bunch of money. So we kick off in Mallorca. We're then off kind of round Europe, slightly odd, odd schedule. Round two in Lithuania and then rounds three and four on consecutive evenings. At the Velodrome in in. In London, which you're not allowed to call the Olympic Velodrome, the Lee Valley Velo Park. Why can't you call it the Olympic Velodrome? The Olympics took place there. I, I think the IOC don't like it, but, it, but the Olympic Velodrome is now officially the Velodrome for Paris. So you can't even call the Tokyo Olympic Velodrome the Olympic Velodrome because it's not anymore. Huh. So yes, yeah, so so at the Not Olympic Stadium in London, and then the final round in Tel Aviv, which I believe is down to the same guy who. Uh, owns oh, the Adams, yeah, yeah. The the Montreal slash Israeli um, billionaire who um, who's basically buying up everything. He bought up Chris Froome. You know, he's uh, 
he's and, and Alex Dowser, who we'll talk about later on. Yeah. So yeah, he has a, a velodrome named, named after himself, I believe. It, it's an interesting calendar. Uh, I think yeah, just to to lay my cards on the table, I, anything that gets track cycling to a wider audience is is a good thing as I'm as far as I'm concerned. And you know, the, there is always a risk that it does it in a way that damages the sport. But I think to me, the sport's just so compelling once you you get into it that I I think you'd struggle to do that. So I'm kind of pro the idea in principle. I don't I don't particularly like the the return to a, a summer season for I like to call them World Cups either are, um, for the Track Nations Cups and the and the Worlds. But if you're going to do that, then having something else that keeps track cycling going through the winter is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I'm not sure what it's like in in Europe, but I mean, pretty much no one's going to see it over here because there's pay per view. So the you know the actual you know, viewership and, and exposure, at least I think outside of Europe, I'm not sure whether it's pay-per-view in Europe, but, but over here, there's, there's very little information and there's very little coverage about it because um, you have to sign up to G- GCN global cycling network to be able to watch it. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can watch it on GCN here, which I, I probably will because I'm covering the first round, but had forgotten that I'd already promised to go to a firework display with my grandson on Saturday evening. So I'll be watching it on my phone at the firework display. But yeah, it's shown on on Eurosport here, which is obviously another another discovery outlet. And Eurosport is it's not free to air, but it's it's included in virtually everybody's you know standard yeah, satellite cable or cable package. package. So it's. Yeah fairly reasonably available yeah we we don't have that option and and they don't have it in the u.s and they don't have it probably in australia or new zealand where they're also big on track um so you know it's eurocentric and where the events are and it's eurocentric in terms of who can watch it yeah and i think the um the aspiration is that it will be global in later years which again was true of the the abortive um, Revolution Champions League series. But I think with everything that's gone on and you know where a lot of the Australian and New Zealand riders are based, having having a European post-COVID kickoff season probably isn't the, the daftest decision the UCI have ever made. So yeah, in terms of, so that's the calendar. In terms of the the pedigree, it's quite interesting and we'll talk about the, the nature of the events in a minute, but there's certainly some some big names that have been involved in you know working with Discovery and the UCI to to work out the the format. Probably the the two highest profile ones being uh, Christina Vogel and, and Chris Hoy, but there's also been Sebastian Mora and Ed Clancy and various other people have been consulted as as it went through. Knowing that, is, is that a surprise when you look at the format of the races? No, I, I mean as we talked before be, be, before we went live. Um, I mean this this is a made for TV event. Uh, well, yes, it's been made for TV by somebody who doesn't really understand what. TV audiences get out of watching TV as far as I can tell. It's, it's reduced in length to fit a TV slot. Yes. As opposed to, as opposed to made for TV. They're looking for short, sharp, you know, exciting hits and doing an individual pursuit. And I, you know, I would agree having taken photographs of way too many of them. Um, <laughs> it's certainly not the most exciting thing that, that, that you could ever watch. So, you know, the events they've chosen are pretty much what what you would expect them to choose. I mean, 
it's uh, it's heavy on 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 sprinting and the endurance events are short and you know to the point and not complicated to understand like you know like a points race for example you have to spend time explaining what that actually is scratch race is really simple and elimination yeah. is is very yeah. simple as well although it is also one of the ones that you know from a sort of well both i think photography and tv it's not particularly exciting to watch because you know you're basically watching everybody's butts to see right. who's 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 yeah who's I, I, I think if you're if you're a fan and you know you know who you want to win or you're following you know, a particular country or whatever then it can be really exciting because there's the tension as to whether somebody gets eliminated lap after lap but in terms and and the, yeah the bike handling skills to do well in an elimination are, are, are yeah. considerable and the, and and the crashes i mean nobody yeah. wants to talk about it but the potential for crashes yeah well and and then the physical exertion i mean it's it is 18 riders so it's it's 18 sprints with 18 rest laps interspersed between them yeah. it's quite an intense event interestingly we talked again we talked about this before we we came on air but it, it, if you were going to choose four events to put in a tv track cycling spectacle Two, two endurance and two sprint, you would probably choose the sprint, the Kieran, the, the scratch race and the elimination. So that kind of makes sense. The elimination, though, is the only one where they haven't really changed the format because um, there's not a lot that you can do with the format. Yeah. Yeah, the scratch race, we talk about two races for endurance riders. It's a it's a five-kilometre scratch race. It's, it's more like a, a long sprint than an endurance race. Yeah. Oh, I have an idea. We need... A Madison elimination. That yes. would be the one that would be exciting. The Madison elimination. So that that brings us on to another point. So the format's different. Yeah, you know, we've got very short scratch race. The sprint competition is three up heats all the way through to the final and a, a, a two up final. The Kieran, I think, is broadly the same format as as a, a normal Kieran. Yeah, there's there's just no repechage or second yeah. round. Yeah, but. These events are two of them are substantially different to the normal, you know, Track Nations Cup and, and World Cup and Olympic formats. And yet you get qualifying points for them. So you you will yeah. get UCI qualifying ranking points towards your uh, world and Olympic participation for having competed in an event which is completely unlike the event you're qualifying for, which just strikes me as bizarre. Yeah, I mean I I too things first of all i don't mind the three up in the sprint i mean they do three up sprints and four up sprints and some of the sort of um you know fifth to 12th or fifth to eighth rate races and so on you know for the minor placings well they don't anymore because they've, they've they've scrapped those yeah you know because they can be quite good you know because tactics are are are, are rather different you know um they're you know there's there's very little track standing or so on when there's three of you um, you know, and somebody may take a flyer. I mean, it can make for uh, for quite interesting racing. I guess my second point is we're creating an uneven playing field with this idea that if you make it in to the Champions League, then you're pretty much guaranteed points for both you and your country, ranking points that will help you for getting into the Worlds or number number spots at the Worlds and for the Olympics. And I mean, it's 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 a very uneven playing field. So if you're a country that 
basically the strong countries will remain stronger or get stronger because they will have more spots. From Canada's perspective, it's great. We have four spots there now, you know, um, three sprint, one endurance. That's great, you know, from our from our perspective, uh, helping us, you know, maintain high standing. But if you're a country that, for whatever reason, you didn't have a great Olympics or, or, or whatever, um, like, say, maybe the Australians or, or, or a great world, then it's really going to impact in the future. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's self-reinforcing because the only way you get into the, uh, the primary way of getting into the Champions League, and we'll talk about that in a minute as well, is through your, uh, your performances in the world. So if you do well in the world, you get some points towards qualifying for the next world and entry to the Champions League, which gets you even more points towards qualifying for the world's. Right. So it, it, it is it, on that that level, it is reinforcing the, the status quo. Although when you look at the list, there are some people who will be taking part in this who I have no idea how they qualify. So there's some invitational people that we yeah. knew about who were, who were mostly big stars. And I think that was kind of an insurance policy in case the world had been, you know, a COVID influenced freak event and and some of the big stars hadn't got through so people like Kirsten Vilt and Harry Lovrayson were were invited in advance I, that makes perfect sense in year one Jean Spies from South Africa or Lauren yeah. Van Reason who hasn't done much sort of recently yeah recently Van recently you know and and, and you know, I think we talked about on the the last of the Roubaix podcasts that we suspected that they would try and get a bit more of a geographical spread but you're then you're then randomly or not randomly because randomly would be better um you're making a decision to give an advantage to some small countries over other small countries in qualifying for the next world which is yeah i'm assuming you have a program like 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 bachelors uh like like the bachelor uh um, yeah in uh the uk um Coming a, a um, sort of almost like I I can see the marketing people you know for the program looking at okay we're missing one of these let's let's drop in this 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 person and uh, who's going to fit fit well um, with our uh, with our demographic for uh, for 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 who we want want to be watching it yeah and nothing against Sean Spice by the way I know he's a really nice guy but it, it, there's half a dozen riders that you can think of who would have been as unqualified for the Champions League as he is. And yeah, they can't all be there yeah. by, by definition. Um, I am going to take issue yeah. with your first yeah. point though. So, I mean, to me, the whole point of sprinting is it's about that one-on-one face-to-face, psyching your opponent out. Yeah. The, the oh. one-on-one tactics and three ups are just a, uh, not quite a lottery, but it's just, it's not, yeah. It's not sprinting. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I mean, and, and I agree with you in, in the traditional sense, you know, and, and, and I agree with you watching, you know, some of the tactics at play, you know, um, and the strategy of not just psyching people out, but trying to force someone into the lead and messing with or them. Or into the fence. You know, <laughs> or into the fence or, 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 or whatever, you know, is, is a huge part of it for people who are really interested in the, in the sport. But I could see the TV people 
pulling their hair out if someone went into a track stand dur- during this um, because it would completely screw up all their timing, right? It's like, no, wait a minute, we're supposed to go to a commercial break and this guy's in a track stand. Um, then, <laughs> so, so, you know, you never see that in a three up. You but, know, but TV's basically, they, they just gradually ramp up speed. <laughs> TV's already screwed up the track standing element by, by forcing the UCI to put the 30 second limit, which was a, a TV induced rule change. Uh, I I don't mind one because, you know, it's like even for somebody who sort of recognizes and appreciates that a three minute one is getting a little tedious. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Two and a half minutes is probably fine. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the event format, and, and you know, just to, to complete that, the the sprints, the three up, starting with eighteen riders. So you get six heats, then two three up semifinals, and then and then a f- proper final. And and each of them are based around eighteen riders. You just flipped up on the screen the new Champions League trophy, and I looked at when I first saw, I thought that looks just like. A Dyson fan. <laughs> it does. It does look very like a Dyson fan. Uh, and then yeah. we end up with a Champions League in that you know the winner of the Dyson fan at the end, sorry the the wonderful um, <laughs> Champions League trophy at the end is based on a actually not dissimilar to a, a Formula One points system for for wins. It's twenty for a win, seventeen for second, fifteen for third, and then points down to we're down to 15th. So 16th, 17th, 18th don't score. So again, it's going to be interesting to see. I know there's a lot of pressure from the UCI on people who qualified attending and on attending every round, because if, if only 12 of the 18 who qualified turn up for an event, it's going to, going to look pretty poor. So I presume they've got well, I mean, you know, reserves. If, if, yeah. I mean, if Laverson, um, for example, wins the first three, then he may say, oh, I don't need to go any, any others. Yeah. You know? um, and, and I think that, and, again, you probably go to the last one because you get the glory and the, yeah. the trophy. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess probably part of the reason for having the double header in London towards the end of the season is, again, to encourage people to come along in front of a big crowd and because it's still still the biggest capacity um, in terms of spectators anyway. And it, it, it's not quite the gaps that you have in the, the F1 driver's standing so I think it, mm. yeah it'll be 25 and then 18 in F1 and it's 20 and 17 so it's not going to be as easy to have won it after three rounds but it, you've only got to have a little bit of variation if you get the same winner three times and a little bit of variation in second and third it could be you know mathematically all but impossible to to lose it yeah yeah and and I can see them them not wanting that maybe maybe, maybe they'll start handicapping in later years if that starts to happen it's like oh you have to add um, a 500 gram weight um, each time. Yeah, well, that's another thing that's not clear from from this. I mean, the the weight one would be interesting, but the <laughs> the handicapping for the sprint, I don't think it actually says in the format how no, they no, decide. It, it doesn't. It 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 just says six three rider heats. And I, so, what, is it going to be sort of pulled out of a hat? Or I mean, I mean, I I can't see them doing that because they because they don't want you know some of their big riders knocked out in the early rounds because they all went up again. Yeah. So I don't know whether they'll use the 200 times from Roubaix or uh, <laughs> and w- once you're going, you can do championship leader against person in last place and you can, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. kind of, but for, for round one, it'll be interesting to see how they, 
how they see it, or whether there is a, a draw. And that, in, in some ways, that would be that would spice it up a little bit, wouldn't it? If you got Leverson yeah. and Hoogland in in round one, and one rider goes through, it opens up the possibilities. I mean, it does, and I agree. I think you know, and and the same with the Kieran. You know, you get one of those three Kierans that gets packed with uh, with, with with all the top people. Um, then it, it sort of it, it opens up, makes it more interesting, uh, sort of overall. But I don't know how scripted this is. I'm suspecting it's fairly scripted. Yeah, uh, well, that's another interesting point of comparison with with Revolution. So the the Revolution series was was great, and it was fantastic entertainment. It was it was kind of a, a less boozy six day race, but in three hours. And and a couple of people have talked about this as being you know a slightly less boozy for television Revolution in one hour instead of three. But I, I remember going to a, a Revolution early on and hearing race officials saying to people as they went out onto the track, you know, don't care who comes second, but the rider who's here celebrating his retirement, I won't say who it was at the time, because uh, it didn't only happen once, he's going to win. And so, you know, if if you weren't at Track Centre listening to that as they went out, and you saw mm-hmm. a, a very fiercely com- competed scratch race with the, you know, the good news story that, the recently oh. retired rider won the race. Well, it's like it's like Camerci's after the Tour de France, right? You know, but then towards the end of of Revolution's history, it became a UCI point scoring event, and it completely transformed it. The racing was just so much better when everybody was actually there trying to trying to achieve something and, and score some ranking points, rather than just going out and having. And they're, they're all still having fun. It was still a a much, yeah. you know, more relaxed atmosphere. You know, more chance to to mingle with the public and and all of those kind of things that you expect from that kind of event. But the racing mattered more, and and it it showed as a spectator. So uh, on the one hand, I think that's one of the positives of the fact that there are ranking points up for grabs. But it'll be interesting to see how how staged the progression is to the final. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, you know, and uh, I like the idea of, of of upsets, you know, or you know, somebody somebody new suddenly appearing, you know, on the world scene. I mean, I think that's that's one of the most exciting parts, rather than seeing the same people always. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure how much they want that because they can't script it. And maybe I'm just being very cynical, but I have a feeling, especially in this first year, I mean, they have outcomes that from their perspective would be the best outcomes. Right. And uh, I'm not sure how much they have to try and get those outcomes. Yeah, you would hope not at all. I mean, the, the, again, especially with with qualifying ranking points at stake, Yeah, you you would hope that any element of any any non-traditional element of Putting seeds together, putting seeds mm-hmm. together, or whatever, is random. You know, it's it's either first versus slowest, and and coming together as it is in a no. in sprint seeding anyway, or it's random. It can't be. We want Harry Lovrason in the final, so everything's geared towards yeah. making that happen. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, honestly, I think what they could do, especially for the sprint, they could have the day before they could have a two hundred meter qualifier 
flying lap. And then they could use that as an intro saying, you yeah. know, prior to the start, we had this and they could show some of the top people and the best times that were set. And then that would allow them to, you know, go straight to the racing, you know, but, but maintain that, you know, sort of strict, you know, you, you your positioning or it is based on merit. Yeah. No, I think that would make a lot of sense. And yeah. If they do do that, then I want credit for it. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we would just have to establish whether they'd already thought of it. There's certainly there's there's no evidence of that. I, I guess the other thing that I, I do like about it, and I think it's probably something that, if I'm honest, men don't think about uh, as often as they should, is the prize money. It is equal prize yeah. money for, for both us. And I guess the other thing in, in our sport is that prize money isn't a big part of, of the sport anyway. In, in fact, no. Yeah, but it's nice that, that now there is. It is completely equal, and and indeed the yeah, it's the same races, the same number of competitors, you know, chosen in the same way and rewarded in the same way. I think is a is a really good thing. And I, and I think honestly, you know, that except for some of the biggest stars, that will be and quite quite a big incentive to to do well. I mean, if you're one of the bigger stars, an Olympic star, then that may not matter as much. But if you're somebody who's quite a bit lower in the rankings or come a country where track cycling isn't as big, this could be, you know, significant. Yeah. Yeah. And again, particularly for the sprinters, you know, the endurance guys will be on teams, they'll be salaried. They're not paid huge amounts of money, but, you know, typically if they're on a, a halfway successful team, even if they're not one of the top riders, the prize money gets shared and all of that. But if you're again, a, that's on the men's guys. Right, right. So, okay, I think that's probably more than enough before we've even seen a, a weekend of racing. The other thing I want to talk about just just briefly because it, it happened uh, the the day before we recorded this um, was the latest hour record attempt from Aguascalientes. So, Alicante. Yeah. Well, one way or another, uh, Alex Dowse, it was going to be in hot water at the end. One of the interesting discussions on on Twitter amongst amongst British fans after the the event was. Trying to trying to place the result, and for those of you who didn't see it, Alex Dowsett just missed out on uh, on breaking the world record. Oh, two laps is, is two laps is more than just missed out. I think. Well, considering that he held it two holders ago, uh, and it was a kilometer and a half less, you know, he, he smashed his existing uh, record and yeah. was 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 closer to the new record than he was to his old record. But there was an interesting discussion about where it ranked because it's the it's officially the second fastest hour in history, which you know, on the one hand, airbrushes out the the pre-unified records where Chris Boardman's still still the record holder. Um, so that's another yeah. that's another British rider who's who's ahead of Alex. But officially, he's second only to to Victor Campanazzi, who is the the current world record holder. But thanks to UCI politics and and uh, costs, he's also the second fastest Brit ever in the unified record. So he's he he just missed out on a a new British record to Dan Bigham's time. Yeah, and, and I was going to talk about that because Bingham, I mean. And um, even, I guess, in some ways, even more so, Bradley Wiggins. I mean, Bingham's time was at 400 meters of altitude, 425 meters of altitude, you know, um, whereas Aguas Calientes is a lot higher than that. Um, and then Wiggins is at sea level, yeah. you know, and he only just squeaked by Wiggins. So, you know, I, I think both of those are more impressive rides. Than um than 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 Dowsett's. You know, obviously 
you know, he he covered a lot of ground in an hour and not to take that away. But if, if you want to look in terms of ranking the rides, you know, I think um, Wigan's sea level ride, which was just slightly slower, um, certainly ranks ahead. Of, of 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 his riding at you know Agus Calientes is it's it's like fifteen hundred meters or something. Yeah, although so, he, strangely he had to um, he had to acclimatize to the lack of altitude because it's actually lower than where he lives in Andorra. <laughs> so, yeah. There's no velodrome there, and the weather's not quite as good. <laughs> oh yeah, so I mean, I'm glad to see you know that the hour record continues to capture attention. You know. Because it it, it 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 is a significant record, you know. It's hard, yeah. You know, um, but I think it, it's great the attempt it. It's great that he went further. But if we look at you know his his result, great, he made an effort and he and he and he didn't make it. And then I think that's all we can say because we can't even say it's you know a significance because he's like more than 500 meters behind yeah. um, the, the current record holder. And he's only buried ahead of a guy who did it at sea level. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was 200, 200 and something meters behind Bigham, wasn't it? I think yeah, it yeah, and and, and, and only a few meters behind Wiggins. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, the other interesting thing about the hour record, of course, is it's the only one where, it's the only record I can think of where it's such a big deal that every attempt gets classified so if you go if you go onto yeah. the if you go onto the wikipedia page for the hour record it's got a complete list of all the failed attempts of uh, the unified record mm-hmm. because it's record and and uh, again alex is the only one to have his name on that list twice because m- most people do it once and think that's enough <laughs> yeah well and it's interesting i mean now that we have a proper velodrome in canada we've actually had an hour record attempt and 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 set a um an age category world 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 record and we actually have had not unfortunately the last couple of years because of covid but prior to that and again i'm assuming next year we have a day of the hour where anybody can can sign up and pay well anybody i mean there's a limit i think the limit is like 10 or 12 people because the day's only so long yeah. um but you know anybody can 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 put their name in for and pay for the chance to go for an hour record either the overall or or usually an age category record and they have timing people there for the whole day so that people can 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 make those attempts, and it's gotten some interest. You know, um, just the idea that uh, you can go in and you can get some local support from your people. You're going in for the women's record for forty to forty-five. You know, that sort of thing. I don't think they'd let me do that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old and not a woman. Oh, we we, we just had uh, Giuseppe Marinoni a couple of years ago went for the uh, eighty-plus record and actually set one. So. So yeah. you're not too old. You're never too no, old. I'm too, I'm too old for the 40 to 45 year old women's category, though. <laughs> and the, the other the other question that was asked after Alex's attempt yesterday was um, was about the talk around Ghana having a, a crack at the world record in the in the near future. So yeah, well, just just back to the idea of, of unusual race formats. One of the things I suggested that I'd, I'd quite like to see is a Ghana versus Lambie one hour pursuit. <laughs> Obviously, it'd, it would have to be a different that record. Be yeah. It'd have to be a different record because you'd be getting a toe at, at parts of the attempt. But but whether you or did have it, them in, or, yeah, or have them in two separate velodromes <laughs> and you can have split screens. <laughs> yeah, well, unless you could find two with the same climate conditions, that would be a little bit unfair. But yeah, 
I, it's, I'd quite like to see that. And then you'd have to decide whether it was kind of winner takes it all. So if you if you caught your opponent, then they were out, but you carried on and finished off the hour. Um, or whether it was a cert- certain number of catches in the hour and then the other one was out. But, yeah. Um, I don't I'd, think they'll even be coming part of the Champions League, unfortunately. No, I don't think it'll fit the TV format, but I'd pay to watch it. Yeah. Well, it, it, I'd, it, I'd, I'd apply for accreditation and try and get in for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it would be uh, really, really quite, quite interesting to, to see, you know, two guys go head to head and see with how much of a difference that might make. Or whether someone would blow themselves I, up to catch somebody. That, that's another. Fade. That's another interesting twist on the idea because you see, I I was on the assumption they'd be going head to tail, but head head to head could be even more interesting, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so they pass each other yeah. every lap. That's right. And who moves up and who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, back straight, home straight. Okay. <laughs> Now, do you for my Python is just getting too silly? It is getting very, very silly. So just uh, one last thing before we go. We had an email the other day from somebody who enjoyed the podcast that we did during the World Championships in Roubaix. Tom B sent us an email thanking us for, for doing something on track when all the focus is on on road and mountain biking. And I think he was one of yours. He's he's well <laughs> he's pointed out that in uh, in one of the pictures on the website, he's in the crowd in the background, and it's the uh, the World Cup round in Milton. Well, great, Tom B. Glad to see you. Maybe um, next next weekend I will be at Milton for the Junior and Para Track National Championships. So if you happen to come out to see that, then be sure to introduce yourself. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'll probably be the only photographer. <laughs> Thank you for that, Rob. And we'll we'll get back on the podcast on Sunday and let people know what we thought of the first round. Okay. Brilliant. Cheers, Rob. Well, that's all we've got time for for this episode, but we'll be back again on Sunday evening to talk about how it all went. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>